As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Soccer Show today. We're talking about the transfer of players' registrations from one association football club to another. Players, they be switching clubs. The Gold Cup is a going concern and the Olympics are approaching rapidly, but the major European leagues will be back quicker than you can say Messi's Messi contract situation. La Liga, Bundesliga, and the Premier League all start on August 13th. That's four and a half weeks away as we speak. Serie A starts the week after. League A starts on August 8th. That's basically tomorrow. Yes, it never ends. My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me today is a man who has a contract for life with our hearts, Taylor Rockwell. <laughs> hey buddy, football never ends and it also never comes home. Oh, <laughs> come on man. <laughs> really? At the start? <laughs> We're over that. That, that was Ryan. brutal. Hey, him, buddy. <laughs> I'm good, thank you. And I, I am, uh, I'm, I'm slowly recovering, as is the nation in which I'm currently mm. standing, Taylor. Thank you for your concern, which you've expressed of course. from the outset of course. there. My also pleasure. joining us here is a man who loves transfer speculation almost as much as interesting formations, tactical orations, diminutive Croatians, and Neymar's gyrations. Joe Lowry. <laughs> that was excellent. And Ryan, I also like how you managed to give Taylor a panic attack in your intro with uh, how quick the European League seasons are approaching. That is just top-notch work. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's also there's not enough going on right now. They're coming. They're coming for us all. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to the demands for previews of the leagues as they start while we're recording about other tournaments and competitions. It's going to be fun. It's going to be hectic. Exactly, it will be indeed. Well, joining our awesome foursome for today is a man whose TSS release clause, it's not monetary, it's a really big hug and a kiss from his TSS <laughs> colleagues. Therefore, he's never going to leave, Graham Rutherford. Yeah, that's a contract for life. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, no one's getting close close enough to me to to uh, action that buyback clause. <laughs> oh, we'll break down your icy exterior one day, Graham. One day we'll do it. Yeah, well, my wife's been saying that for a while, and she hasn't succeeded. So, <laughs> goodness me, goodness me. Well, I think um, this kind of time of year, this very small break. Well, it's not a break because there's a Gold Cup. Everything else is happening mm-hmm. at the moment, as I outline. But it's kind of that silly season isn't it we've got the new kits coming out every day transfer speculation here and there images of teams training in foreign climbs and endless build-up to this new domestic european season it's a it's a very interesting time of year and one in which we have been blessed uh, on the day we record by harry Maguire on twitter who tweeted out today gents thank you england you cheered your heart out now eat your heart out get a free taco today <laughs> hashtag i see a taco hashtag Teco Bill UK. Two days after losing a final, we've moved on, gents, to free tacos. Imagine paying for your tacos when Harry Maguire's <laughs> going to get you one for free. Wonderful stuff. And uh, and Joe, as you expressed on Twitter, I, we weren't aware that Taco Bell uh, had spread its wings and landed in the United <laughs> Kingdom. I actually what? looked up, there is there is an awful lot of them. Graham, there is two in Glasgow, two Taco Bells in Glasgow, according to their website. There's nine in London where civilization yeah. is. Um, um, uh, I'm going <laughs> to... Argyle Street, Graham, and Sochi Hall Street. There's a Sochi, Sochi Hall Street. Jeez, oh, that is not how you say that. Go on, how do you say it? Sochi Hall. Right, and Sochi Hall Street. You've got one that's <laughs> open till 4am. 4am, Graham. It's open till 4am. What is happening on Sochi Hall Street? That's where that's where all the nightlife is. That's that's, that's the hub. I mean, we've got I... a Denny's as well. Is there a Denny's in London? No, there isn't. Do you know why? Because I've Googled it. <laughs> I've done my research. <laughs> I don't think I would trust a Taco Bell less than one in Scotland. That does not feel like where I'm going for authentic Mexican, uh, nor does Taco Bell, but well, less so even uh, a Scottish Taco Bell. Where else are you getting your haggis tacos? Uh, I think you'll find that as a speciality that we've got. At our I, Taco do they Bells. actually eat haggis or is that just like the Scottish joke? Ha- do you know what? Haggis is this big myth. Haggis is, mm-hmm. is, is just like sheep meat. It's not. It's not That's bad at lamb, all. Graham. I know, but it's not lamb. I think is the good bit of the lamb. I think it's the bad bit of the lamb. So I it just, it was we'll just call it, Is it not we'll stomach? Just, so I think the thing is, it used to be wrapped in a in a and you know the the kind of you know like the sausage in a sausage you get like the sausage yeah. skin. It used to be that the haggis skin was a sheep's stomach. But they don't do that anymore. Even in Scotland, I mean, we have progressed past that. Yeah, we don't kick pig, pig's bladders around either in this game we talk about either, Graham, I suppose. We've moved on from that kind of thing. But are, are you being serious about haggis tacos? I have to check. Um, yeah, I think they do them at Taco Bell. What? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I'm actually seriously thinking about going to get a Taco Bell tonight, um, prompted by Harry Maguire's tweet. So, marketing, work, marketing works. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'll, I'll report back. I think Please. that's probably an upgrade on the, the other meats at Taco Bell, which I presume are raccoons and retired circus animals. Don't ask, I can tell from my don't one you don't, Yeah, we don't, we don't want to know the answer to that. And here's where I hope the Taco Bell aren't a sponsor on today's show, Taylor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if they were, they're not anymore. And I guess uh, such is life, because with their wonderful all-natural products and uh, great options for the whole family, Taco Bell are a wonderful establishment that should take over the uh, dining the fast food dining experience of the future. Now we're going back to Demolition Man, <laughs> a movie that apparently only I have seen, and I and I and I kind of dislike you all for it. 
I got it, I get it confused in my mind with Judge Dredd. Are they, they're kind of similar, How aren't they? How dare you? Just no? because they're the exact same movie about future police. I don't know what you're talking about, Ryan, how you could make that mistake. <laughs> that and Police Academies 1 through 7. <laughs> <laughs> they're, all, they're all in the same cinematic universe, I think. <laughs> Indeed they are. And we should uh, talk about the universe of soccer transfers, which is what we all convened here to do, gentlemen. Why don't we get to that now? Uh, today's show, we're going to talk about a um, combination of our favorite deals and maybe some of the deals that we've missed that have happened thus far. Maybe if we get the time, we'll even talk about some deals which might be on the line and uh, happening shortly. According to The Guardian on their, their uh, transfer totalizer, which I've now called it, the top five leagues have already made 472 deals this summer worth $1.3 billion. That's approximately 50% of Taylor Rockwell's budget for leather-bound notebooks into which he lovingly carves out penalty <laughs> and tactical diagrams with his ink quill on his writing bureau in the east wing of Rockwell Manor. Have I got that right, Taylor? <laughs> yes, yes. Our 1,200-square-foot home uh, is also something that we call a manor, for sure. Yes, <laughs> when you sit around your delicately appointed villa. You sit around your delicately appointed villa, oh. Tay-Tay. Was, was that a Yo Mama joke? Is that what I just got from you? It was a Frasier from Family Guy reference. I don't know why I <laughs> there we that go. Out, but I did. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Why don't we start? Um, can I can I get the ball rolling? Would you mind if I get the ball Please. rolling with I think what my favorite deal that has happened thus far is, and it's Hakraf uh, Akraf Hakimi going from Inter Milan to PSG. I think PSG have pulled one off here. They're uh, replacing Florenzi, who's gone going back to Rome, or he might go elsewhere. I'm not sure where he's uh, he's going there. He might, yeah, who knows? But uh, Inter got sixty plus ten, sixty million euros plus ten millions in add-ons, or add-ons uh, here. Um, they paid forty million for him at the start of last season, so not a huge markup for a player of his quality. What I don't understand here, maybe someone else can shed some light on this, is why Inter would let him go after how important he was to that campaign, that title-winning campaign. One of the best fullbacks out there in Europe at the moment. Uh, you know, very versatile player. Really important. They need the money. They do need the yep. money indeed, but I mean, uh, at, at what cost, I ask you, Graham Rutherford, at what cost? And don't literally tell me 70 million euros. Um, <laughs> but he, he seems like he's a really good deal for PSG, a, a, a Pochettino kind of player. Um, and, and if you look at what else PSG are doing, you know, with Sergio Ramos coming in, Donnarumma maybe coming in, Wijnaldum's there already on a free as well. I kind of like what's being built there, which sounds like a weird thing to say about PSG, who can essentially build whatever they like. But um, anyone got any thoughts on Hakimi, Graham? Yeah, he was he was a name that was uh, tentatively on on my list as well. I think he has the potential to really change the dynamic of this PSG team, and that um, PSG have predominantly over the last few seasons attacked down the left side, where they obviously have a, a strength through the likes of of um, uh, Mbappe and Neymar, who tend to gravitate. I know they can play through the centre as well, but tend to gravitate towards the the left, and so Hakimi on the right is 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 going to balance that team up, and and um, he can also play in. Well, I'd actually say he is better as a wing back than a than a full back. So I I wonder if Pochettino's going to switch to a back three, which would be possible with Ramos coming into that into that team. That a back three with with full backs might work for them. So yeah, I think it, it is an interesting one that it changes that that team a lot. And I am with you. I think PSG. Um, what did you say it was? Seventy million euros in yeah, total. Yeah, sixty plus ten. It's looking like. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you can ever say seventy million euros is a bargain for a for a soccer player, but given the market, I, I think that is a bit of a bargain. I'm with you on that, and I think they have shown some intelligence to recognise that Inter are just so desperate for cash to stay afloat over the summer into next season that there's an opportunity there. So, um, yeah, I like that signing as well. 
Yeah, and I think somebody who agrees with you on that problem would be uh, Antonio Conte, who did not love this transfer, and it's a big reason why he is no longer there. Indeed. Joe? Yeah, Graham, you mentioned how PSG can be a little left-side dominant in the attack. I think I think you make a great point with how Hakimi could maybe rebalance that. If you think about the personnel that they'll now have, that Pochettino will have on that right side, they have NLD Maria as that right winger most often. And then Hakimi, the one thing he does really, really well is he's incredibly fast and he reads the game very well from that right, right back, right wing back spot. There's not a ton of difference there in my mind, at least. But he can time his overlapping runs. Think Spinazzola overlapping Insigne for Italy, right? And that, that was the, the thing that made that left side tick. Hakimi could be the thing that really puts PSG's right side over the top. I mean, just imagine being an opposing left back or opposing left midfielder. You already had to deal with Angel Di Maria, which is not easy. Just ask Brazil in the Copa America final. Now you have Hakimi, who is just incredible at getting forward and finding space. You have to deal with him, too. That is not fun for opposing defenses. I think this is a great move for PSG. Yeah, still Maybe. tough to believe that uh, that Pochettino didn't end up going back to Spurs with all of these signings coming in because I think you contrast <laughs> what PSG is doing with what Tottenham is doing. I, I think Pochettino probably made the right choice there in terms of the talent he's going to have at his disposal and the ridiculous attacking options he'll have because I am all in favor of this move, even if it comes at the expense of like relative parity in uh, Ligue 1 and in I do think it makes the Champions League that much more competitive for them because Hakimi is just so good and can basically play that entire right hand side. Yeah. He's got a very good resume now, Akimi, as well. Um, it's yeah. a very impressive journey yeah. he's had so far. Well, it's... Go on, Graham. I was just going to say, Ryan, when you're talking about his resume, the one that, that shocks me about a team letting him leave was actually Real Madrid last last summer, mm. who, you know, he comes back from Dortmund. I think he spent two seasons on loan in Dortmund. At that point, he's already one of the best wingbacks in Europe. Real Madrid, um, I know they've got Danny Carvajal, but his injury record is atrocious and ended up playing Lucas Vazquez there last season. So you're thinking 40 million euros for one of the best fullbacks, wingbacks, whatever in, in Europe, when that's a bit of a problem position for them. I didn't see the sense in that business last summer and I still don't. Absolutely so. Well, uh, Graham, why don't you lead us off with another deal that you like or one we may have missed? What you got? So I'm going to stick at the the kind of elite level, and I think this is the most elite, interesting for me elite level outside transfer Scotland. this summer. Yeah, <laughs> outside Scotland. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, but I'm going to go with uh, uh, David Alaba uh, to Real Madrid, um, just because I think kind of some, along similar lines with uh, Hakimi, I think he could change quite a lot with in in this Real Madrid team. It's not entirely clear where, where he's going to play in that side. So is he the replacement for Sergio Ramos? Because if he is, he's a very, very different sort, sort of defender to Sergio Ramos. I would say Mendy, uh, for Lamonde, sorry, on, on the left side at left back, he kind of has that position nailed down and, and Marcelo is still sticking around as a decent deputy. So not exactly a position that... They, they need someone in there. So is that maybe a shift back to a, into, shift into a back three? Um, how will they do that if Rafael Varane is also leaving this summer, which seems like a very real possibility into the last year of his contract? My United being strongly linked with him. Um, is it possible we could see him in central midfield at times? Like, we, like he, he tends to play, or not tends to play, but has played for, for, for Austria. And I just think his signing could turn Real Madrid into a much more tactically fluid team than has been the case over the last few years because as, as good as they have been under Zidane and, and his two spells in charge, you wouldn't say that tactically they've been that interesting. They've, they haven't really changed up much. Um, I know Real Madrid changed a little bit last season at times to, to, to play in a, I think in a back three at times, uh, Zidane was playing in, but, um, 
yeah, I just think that it, it gives him a lot of different options. I think also Alaba is, is criminally underrated. I think he's one of the best, te- uh, one of the most technically able players of his, of his generation, to be honest, um, in the way that he can play so many different positions. And I'm just, as someone who watches a lot of Spanish football, I'm just really interested to see how he fits in and I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. Definitely. So, Joe, what do you make of that move? Uh, will we have endless conversations about Carlo Ancelotti using him in- incorrectly as we had at this Euros? I hope not, right? I think I think what Austria did, what Franco Foda did with him at the Euros was unnecessary, and we talked about that on the show plenty. So I, I think there's an opportunity for Ancelotti to give him a role. And, and at Real Madrid, you can you can get away with putting him at center back, just like you can get away with putting him at center back at Bayern Munich, much more so than you can get away with that for Austria, because you have a ton of other world-class players all over the field, so the drop-off isn't as significant. You don't lose as much in attack. So Graham talking about how Alaba might play center back, I think that's probably the most likely spot for him. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm just interested to see, I guess this is less about Alaba, more about Real Madrid. I'm interested to see what this team looks like under Carlo Ancelotti, because Zinedine Zidane won a lot of things with Real Madrid, right? But he is much more of a vibes manager than he is a tactics manager. I think Ancelotti will bring a little bit more substance in terms of how they approach games and could give Alaba more of a defined role than he would have had coming in under Zidane. So I think we'll probably see him at one of those center back spots in a back four most often this season. But no matter where you put David Alaba, he is incredibly fun to watch and a very skilled soccer player. And I'm excited about this move. Definitely. And Taylor, um, to bring you in on this one, uh, Joe mentioning what the team will look like at Real Madrid next year. I don't, if, my, if I'm correct, I don't think they've spent any money yet, but they've got a lot of players returning. Gareth Bale, uh, his loan spell uh, in the Premier League will be ending. Luka Jovic, I think, will be coming back. Uh, uh, Danny Ceballos, may, maybe he'll take in some of these Odegaard. players. That, yeah, uh, Martin Ogard as well. You're quite right. So maybe some of these players who've been elsewhere might be welcomed into the fold. Yeah, I have to believe that Carlo Ancelotti is coming in with an idea of what was going to be spent or what the limitations might be. And I'm going to assume part of his pitch to Madrid or what Madrid wanted him to do was sort of bring these players back who've had differing experiences is how I'll put that one when it comes to their Real Madrid tenure and sort of get them to be back on board, to get them back into it, to make them feel like they could be a part of this team. I'm guessing preseason is going to be a very big part of that. And then we'll see what they need to buy after that. But I won't be surprised if he is sort of focused on trying to get Gareth Bale motivated to play for Madrid again. Same thing for Odegaard. I think it's why they haven't let some of those deals become finalized or haven't entertained offers for others. Still have some questions about Ancelotti since a lot of the negativity around Zidane was, like, is he tactically astute enough? Is he doing the preparation we need to compete in La Liga or this like current iteration of La Liga? And that's not really what I think of when I think of Carlo Ancelotti these days. So I, I'm still not sure how well that's going to go, but I do think a big part of it will be uh, how easily he's able to get people on board uh, or bought back in. And with Gareth Bale, by the way, I think he told us that we were going to be really shocked and surprised by his next move, which he was uh, going to unveil at some point. I can only assume he's actually not going to go back to Real Madrid and is going to launch a rocket into space with Branson and all those guys. (laughs) He's probably got something of that lined up, right? That's got to be it. Yeah, he's the next to go in the rocket. (laughs) I mean, or or given the Harry Maguire introduction, he's like, I'm excited for my next move. And then it's going to be a subway or something. He's going to he's going to find a new way to rebrand with some sort of Zlatan not do something like that. He used a move or a transfer and then it was some favorite or something. Favorite. (laughs) Yes. Well, (laughs) on that note, I look forward to Gareth Bale's Wendy's commercial coming up soon. Uh, We'll take a quick break. We'll be back very shortly. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are talking summer transfers. Taylor, what's been inspiring you? Which deal has got the fizz going in you, baby? Uh, it's a pretty boring one, but I, I'm pretty like excited about their overall business. It would be Leipzig making Angelino a permanent deal, which is one that always felt like it could be the case, but it could also be he goes back to Man City and becomes a fullback that they don't have to spend 50 million pounds on and maybe becomes like the new Zinchenko almost because I think he, he does have that talent. He's still only 24 years old and I think could have been a big performer for them, but instead he will continue to be one for Leipzig. I think they made it official at around $20 million. I went with dollars because transfer market goes with dollars, but I think that shows me that they are like is going to be some consistency to that squad, but then obviously they have had a couple big sales, Upamakano to Bayern Munich and Ibrahim Konate to Liverpool, as well as Hannes Wolf to Gladbach. So to get all of that money and then basically reinvest it in seven different players, all of whom are young and promising, and then also, also Andre Silva, uh, I think it gives them a lot of options for the coming season, and I think it gives Jesse Marsh a lot of room to work with. Mm. Um, Joe, what do you think about that one? It seems I'm, I'm not sure what to make of uh, RB Leipzig this coming season because, as Taylor mentioned, quite a lot of incoming and quite a lot of outgoing. Is that, they seem to have done the most business out of anyone, from what I can tell. They have done a fair bit of business. I'll toss in just one other name quickly uh, into this discussion. Caden Clark signed for RB Leipzig from the New York Red Bulls, 18-year-old American, who probably would have been in the Gold Cup if not for... Uh, appendicitis and recovering from an appendectomy and all that unfortunate stuff. But Caden Clark is officially a Leipzig player. They just loaned him back to the New York Red Bulls for the rest of the MLS season. And then Clark will go and join up with Leipzig at the start of the new year. Jesse Marsh has a really interesting project on his hands because not only is he now at the highest rung of of the Red Bull ladder, but there's also been a lot of transfer business already. Uh, Taylor led this whole discussion with talking about Angelino, who I think is a phenomenal left back and was one of their best players last year under Julian Nagelsmann. But then there's also this element of a tactical change in how Jesse Marsh's RB Leipzig team is going to play relative to Nagelsmann's team. Nagelsmann's team, it, it kind of went under the radar, but they were not a classic Red Bull. We're going to press, 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 and then play very direct team. They were much more possession-based in how they approached playing soccer, especially with the ball. They still pressed, but they held a lot more possession. Marsh is going to come in, and I think that's going to change. He's had a couple comments, and I I can't remember them word for word, but a couple comments that really make me think, okay, he saw what Nagelsmann did with this Leipzig team, and he liked some of it, and we might see some things retained, but this is going to be a Jesse Marsh up-tempo, direct, vertical kind of team. Maybe it'll be somewhere in between those two things, but I just think the whole Leipzig project right now in this transition is fascinating because the the squad is changing and the manager is changing obviously but the tactics behind that whole thing are going to I think be very different and that just that makes this uh something that's worth keeping an eye on yeah 
Second in the Bundesliga last season, Graham. Second in the Bundesliga this season? Um, I mean, certainly have the potential. I think the thing that makes me nervous about Leipzig is just the amount of upheaval over the over the over the summer. Um, to pick out one transfer, I'm not sure I would say it's the the best transfer, but for me anyway, it's the most interesting is Andre Silva, just because it's not an archetypal RB Leipzig signing, and that Andre Silva has. I mean, he's still only 25, but he has you know, been around a bit. He has failed at a, a big club before. Obviously he had a an exceptional season, uh, you know, at Inter Frankfurt last last season. Um but there are there are still some doubts about him whether he can he can really make the step up. So I, I think um Jesse Marsh has has I think it's a big challenge. I just think Dortmund are naturally Germany's Germany's second force and with Haaland and I know they've sold Sancho but it sounds like they're going to invest some of that money and someone like Daniel Malin has been linked to them so um I think second place would be a real achievement for Leipzig next season I have to say I think I think next season my hunch tells me it might be just about Champions League qualification and kind of steadying and uh, and giving themselves that that platform to then build maybe the season after all right. I agree with Graham. I would say like it's going to be a strange Bundesliga season because Bayern will be expected to be dominant, but have lost several different pieces, including the manager. Uh, so how Nagelsmann does there, I think, is, is going to be pretty interesting, and it could go very well, and they could destroy everybody as they are want to do, but they could also struggle early. But then Dortmund have a new manager, Gladbach will have a new manager, Leipzig have a new manager, Wolfsburg have kind of the most consistency. I don't think they've sold any of their big pieces yet, so maybe they make a surprise run and, and do well to start the season, but I think there's going to be ups and downs across the board. That said, I agree with Graham that I think, especially with some of the youth that's being brought in, when you lose your two sort of experienced veteran starting defenders and you're bringing in two guys who, as I've said before, are on every single list of like the best young like FIFA players to buy for their potential in career mode. Like it doesn't spell the immediate impact signing that's going to change your entire team's fate it's the player who Croatia played out of position and was defensively suspect at times so I think he's definitely going to have some room to work with and a lot to work with uh, and I think yeah Champions League qualification would probably be a positive Taylor how dare you speak ill of Pep Guardiola's Croatian son Guardiola <laughs> I apologize I, mean, come on, come I apologize <laughs> They do sort of look like I know it's the name that's very similar, but also the eyebrows, I think, really does a lot for it. There's a similar face shape. I think it makes sense, Joe. I've never seen (laughs) them in the same place. That would be weird because then they'd be doppelgangers. I don't quite know what I'm going. (laughs) Have you ever seen Josko Gradiol hunched down on his haunches, pointing at a whiteboard furiously? Because then we definitely know the uh, familial links. Wearing a sweater in the rain? No, I have not. All right, Joe, let's come to you next for your pick uh, for a transfer that's uh, that's got you interested. So I'm surprised we've made it this long without talking about FC Barcelona, but I want to talk Mm -hmm. quickly about a player and then I'm just going to turn it right over to Taylor and Graham to dissect what's going on with Barcelona right now. The player is Memphis Depay, who we saw... I think he was the best player for the Netherlands at the Euros. Maybe Frankie de Jong and maybe, I don't know, Blind and a couple other players in the back. Dumfries? They all had Dumfries. strong performances. Dumfries, yeah, still not sold on Denzel Dumfries, despite his awesome name. But Depay just brings so much quality to this team. They got him on a free, quote-unquote, free transfer, meaning there's no transfer fee, but they still have to pay a salary, which is a problem for Barcelona right now. They brought him in for Lyon. Depay was just brilliant for Leon last year in Liga. He was the the top player in Europe's top five leagues 
in terms of expected assists. So he, he can create chances without much problem at all. He was 18th across those top five leagues in terms of expected goals, scored and assisted as well, not just the underlying numbers shining for him there. He had the actual output to go with it. Loves the half spaces, loves to float in between the lines, and is a player that I think will do very well at Barcelona if they can get uh, everything sorted financially this season, which is now when I turn it over, ah, let's go to Taylor. Taylor, uh, what what's going on with Barcelona and why are there sticking points with them right now? Uh, not a whole lot is going on with Barcelona. I think that's probably not a situation that they would like, but they are at the impasse because La Liga uh, has the salary cap, a thing I did not know. I was informed by Graham. Graham, how did you phrase it, the uh, La Liga salary cap? Uh, how did it? Oh, it, it's a salary cap that doesn't really come into effect unless you're uh, a club that's been criminally uh, run criminally over the last yeah. few years. Criminally, criminally mismanaged. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, which kind of sums up Barcelona at the moment. Yep. Yeah, so uh, I think as it, as it stood when last I read, they had to clear, I think, $200 million in uh, wages off of their books. Their wage structure was such that I think 70, 74% of their uh, – it, it's very vague as to whether it's revenue or profit or – I think they just said income, but 74% is going to player wages, yeah, um, so they need to clear a good amount of that off. According to Tarek Pandra at the New York Times, Taylor, it says they have to clear about 200 million euros in salary cuts to register new players as per the legal rules, which limit each mm-hmm. club spending to only a percentage of club revenue is how they there phrase we go. it. And club <laughs> revenue having gone down a wee bit in the uh, yep. pandemic. So, yeah problems in terms of registering players which also uh, has uh, implications for another player who's uh, been on their books for a little while as well who maybe we can talk about in a minute but Depay we were on yeah I, I just think he if Barcelona get everything sorted out and I think I think they will they have to right it's Barcelona and and we we were talking before this well. show <laughs> and it feels it feels like this will not be allowed to happen like like Barcelona will not be allowed to self-destruct which would be their own fault and I could be completely wrong on this but it seems like somehow they will get things sorted whether that's offloading a ton of players on substantial salaries or working through some sort of loophole. Either way, I, I just think the idea of seeing Messi, who is not currently under contract with Barcelona, and Memphis Depay, who is technically under contract with Barcelona, but not registered by La Liga, I think the idea, if we see those two players together this season, they're both very similar. They're both incredibly dynamic on the dribble. I think they could be a brilliant combination for them in La Liga this season if everything gets sorted out, which is not a guarantee, I suppose. And Joe, I take your point that I think like if something will be resolved, I can't imagine uh, La Liga not letting Barcelona sort of like register these players. I'm sure there'll be a workaround or some sort of, and you've got to pay it back double next time. And when next time happens, we'll change it then. Uh, but I think a big part of that is because Barcelona have already started trying to get rid of players. They've gotten rid of, I believe, Junior Firpo, Conrad de la Fuente has gone, uh, Jean-Claire Todibo, who I definitely thought was called Jean-Claude until I started researching this one. Um uh, They've all gone, I think, Francisco Francisco Chincao as well for, like, an option to buy after a loan period. Uh, And with that said, I think they only have, like, 20 active players on the roster, uh, not including those players who have not yet been registered. So that means they're going to have to clear off from Titi, Pjanic, Coutinho, uh, maybe Griezmann in there, some other ones, I think, to try to clear this up a little bit but clubs know that now and know that they can sort of get these players for a smaller amount than Barcelona would probably be comfortable for and those players uh, if you're new to it have to agree to a new deal the transfer or the contract doesn't just move over so if you're making trying to think like what, what's uh, like Umtiti's on probably like what 150 a week he's something on, like that Samuel Umtiti's on 190,000 euros a week which is the same <sighs> as Sergio Roberto 
both of them on 190,000 <sighs> So if you're on that, you're probably not going to get that elsewhere. It stands to reason. So why would you give that up? Why wouldn't you go the Gareth Bale route or... Uh, I forget who else. Did Wayne Bridge do that? And Carlos Tevez certainly did, of just like sitting out and, and collecting that paycheck uh, and waiting uh, until your contract expires. So I think Barcelona have a lot to figure out. And all that said, Joe, I'm still with you that I think in the end, La Liga helps them figure it out somehow. The only the only way I can see the other thing about this situation for Barcelona is the timing is 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 terrible for them in terms of the transfer market. Look, clubs are still spending money, as as Ryan referenced at the, at, the, at the start of this pod. But this isn't 2018, 2019, where you know clubs are spending hundreds of millions all over the place. It's going to be really difficult to to get cash offers for these players, and I think their only chance of getting rid of some of some of the the big names because it's going to take that, you know, as you mentioned there, Taylor Firpo, Tadebo, Alenia, eh, Matias Hernandez. Eh, Fernandez is a really interesting one because they allowed him to leave in a free, and now he's suing Barcelona. <laughs> so that is that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. It could end up costing them more than if they just kept him. Um, but I think if they were what we're seeing in the Spanish press is so Griezmann's one there's been a lot of chat around recently and Atletico Madrid maybe taking him back but the only way he would go back is if Barcelona end up taking a load of Atleti players and so in that swap Barcelona end up paying less for two or three players than they are paying Griezmann who's on 880,000 euros a week Um so that that's basically what happened 880,000 euros a week Antoine Griezmann gets paid at uh, Barcelona. Wow. And that's even more um, when you consider it's tax-free because they don't pay tax in Barcelona either, right? <laughs> yeah, well, no comment. I- <laughs> Wait, is it, isn't that how... Isn't that sort of how it works though? Is don't they agree to a, a, like a weekly wage and annual salary for him? And then th- basically the agreement there is like, that's what he is getting, but they're not taking taxes out of that. Or basically he's not agreeing to 400,000 to be paid 200,000. He's agreeing to 400,000, the tax rate being like 50%, let's say. So then it's actually reported as 800,000. The yeah. club are paying the tax for him and then he nets 400. So I think yeah, that's, that's right, where that yeah. number is so high. But it is still the case that is what actually he's being paid. It's just then they're actually paying the tax. Um, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what Barcelona are, are parting with yeah. every week to have Antoine Griezmann Oof, play yeah. for them. That's what should happen, Taylor. That's what should happen in terms of where the tax goes. <laughs> yes. But, uh, let's just yes. say it doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> um, but don't worry. As long as you only get sentenced to what, like 24 months exactly, then you don't have to do prison time if it's your first offense. I guess what we're learning here is commit crimes in Spain. Sexy Beast taught us that, but so too did uh, the Barcelona non-payment of taxes strategy. Oh, sexy Beast, what a movie. Ray Winston, tiny swimwear. Anyway, Graham, um, <laughs> can we talk a little bit about Leo Messi as well? Currently out of contract, and, and as we've mentioned, would have to be re-registered uh, with the Liga to sign a new contract. Is there any possibility that things go massive, massively awry here? We're hearing, as, as, we, as we record, that he does want to sign a new contract, but is there a possibility that other players aren't allowed to register if he is? And, or is, there gonna, is it going to be fudged? Are La Liga going to find yeah. a way to say, oh, you're Barcelona, we'll just, we'll just let you do what you want? It's certainly a possibility. I don't. I don't think it's likely. I do think what will happen at the eleventh hour if Barcelona don't get in, don't uh, clear a lot of that money off their their salary, uh, their salary bill, their wage bill. I think it will at the eleventh hour. La Liga, and this is just on a hunch. I don't have any inside information on this, and it's just what I think will happen. I think they will come up with something that allows Messi to stay because obviously Messi is. 
the greatest player of all time. Not only that, probably the most marketable player of, of, of at the moment in, in soccer. And so La Liga won't want to, to see him leave. Um, and despite the fact there has been friction between uh, Tebas, who is the La Liga chief, and Barcelona and Real Madrid and a number of the clubs um, recently, then I, I still think I still expect Messi to be a, a Barcelona player for next season. I'm not entirely sure how it happens. But the, the other interesting thing is a lot of the other options have kind of been have kind of been closed off. You know, Manchester City have handed new contracts to Kevin De Bruyne, which seemed to be a factor in them delaying that decision was whether they were going to move for Messi. Um, you know, PSG, as we've mentioned there, have, have been spending freely and are still trying to convince Mbappe to stay. They've just signed Neymar to a new contract. So would they really be able to sign him? You know, Juventus, maybe another one of these super clubs that could afford Messi normally are having their own financial troubles. So... Where, where does he go? I mean, the only option at, at this point would be to do an Eric Cantona and to start up a cage football team in a ship like that yes. old uh, <laughs> Nike advert, oh. which I'd be entirely in favour of. Why hasn't that happened already? That needs to have happened already, <laughs> frankly. Why isn't that outside? Uh, because the original one ended up sinking, and I yeah, think I maybe there's a lot of liabilities still to be dealt with. <laughs> yeah, the, the follow-up advert ends with uh, at the bottom of the ocean. So <laughs> Yes, it is. All right. First to 100, baby. First to 100. Okay, well, how, how about we do the backup, and we have um, Eric Cantona play against the devil and fire the ball through his stomach. How about that? Could that be a thing? <laughs> I'm not sure how that helps Lionel Messi, though. <laughs> like, the, the point of this was to give him a team, but now we're just shooting balls at Eric Cantona. But I'm, yeah, I'm in favour of that as well. Tangentially, it helps, Graham. Somehow, in some way, it does. Okay. Um, I'm going to move us on to another transfer that interests me because uh, I, I feel like it's a player who's got a lot of promise, but I'm not, I don't know as much about him, and maybe you guys do. It's Patson Dacker who's um, gone from RB yes. uh, Salzburg to Leicester. Um, it's around $32 million undisclosed five-year deal. He's 22 years old. He scored 27 goals in 28 league games last season. He seems to be um, teed up as like a Jamie Vardy successor eventually. Vardy's going to be 35 in January. Um, it's an interesting kind of player. He knows sort of a, a big striker, doesn't, doesn't drop deep, plays off the last man, kind of Vardy-esque. Um, played in a 4-4-2 at Salzburg with, with a partner, so maybe he could be partnered up with uh, Kelechi Inacho as well. Um, and he seems to fit that Leicester strategy of buying players from outside the top five leagues who they think can adapt to the English game and who could maybe be sold on for much more than they pay for them. We've seen them do that many times in the past before. Joe, you exclaimed when I mentioned Patrick. <laughs> so please tell me more about him. I just think this is a phenomenal signing from Leicester City and Brendan Rodgers. I mean, Dhaka was the best player in the Austrian Bundesliga last year. I, I watched a good bit of him watching Brendan Aronson play under Jesse Marsh at Salzburg. He's just a goal scorer, man. And I think, Ryan, a lot of the analysis that you just tossed out there was spot on. He's not super tall, but he does get in behind. And that's his game. It is very Jamie Vardy-esque. The biggest thing that he needs to improve is being able to drop in and link play a little bit more. But for most of the time, his game is just get in behind, get on the ball. He reads space very well in the box and around the box. He shoots from good areas. He's just a goal scorer. He was the top scorer in the Austrian Bundesliga last year, helped Salzburg win the title. He was the player of the season in the Austrian Bundesliga. This is a great move, a good price for him that Leicester paid in this deal. And I think I mean, after Leicester finished fifth in the Premier League last year, they have Europa League this year, and they're going to have the league as well, where they expect to be pushing for European competition qualification again. 
this is the type of player you want in to supplement Jamie Vardy to compete for a starting spot, likely to earn that starting spot and either play next to Vardy, next to Iannaccio, or or maybe at times play on his own at the top of a single striker shape. I, I, I just love Daka at only 22. He has a high ceiling. He's already an excellent player right now. This is just a great move from uh, Leicester City. And he's so good at, at at the sort of like unexpected run to the back post. I saw that a number of different times in the footage I was watching of him sort of recognizing, oh, everybody's shifting to one side. I'm just going to quietly drift to the back post, very like Thomas Muller-esque, uh, to be there for the cross and then the power header to finish. I think the the Vardy comparison makes a lot of sense to me also because from what I saw of him at least... He just has that like, oh, he's got a shooting chance and he's going to score. Like if you give him the opportunity in the box, he will take that opportunity. And I think for their part, Lester, who we know have a very good scouting network, I also have to believe just sort of looked at past RB Salzburg sales, especially when it came to attackers, saw that it was uh, Sobosloy to Leipzig, saw that it was Erling Haaland to Dortmund, and you can keep scrolling down to see the list of talent that has been there and been sold on and thought, instead of waiting a season and then getting into a bidding war when his price doubles after he plays for a Bundesliga club or uh, like somewhere else in Austria, let's just go ahead and get him now and then we'll sell him for three times what we paid in a couple seasons. Graham, any thoughts on Pats and Decker? Have you been watching the Austrian Bundesliga as little as I have? <laughs> well, I was going to say I'm at a disadvantage to the the two American guys on this podcast because I'm I have not been watching Brendan Aronson Aronson uh, in the Austrian Bundesliga. I've only really seen mistake, Pats and Daka. <laughs> <laughs> I've only I've only really been seeing uh, Pats and Daka in the Champions League, but I, I've I've very much liked what I've seen from him. The, the only thing I would add to what the the guys have said before me is is I just think Leicester City are the best run club in the Premier League. And they rarely sign a player that doesn't make an impact on the first team. I was looking at through their list of players and honestly, over the last maybe five years, there's about one or two players you would say were a flop. Even players who at the time, like when Iose Perez went to Leicester City, I wasn't so keen on that transfer. And yet, you know, Leicester City and, Brent, and Brendan Rodgers have got the, the most out of him and he's a key player for, for them. So I just, I just really expect, given that he is a player who, I mean, if he'd gone to an Arsenal or a Manchester United or a, you know what? He's that good. If even if he'd went to Manchester City, you would say, yeah, that, that probably is about right. So of a player of that talent, uh, I, I think he's going to be a key figure for Leicester. And I think it's a really smart signing. It's interesting about them having a, a good hit rate of successful players. And I'm trying to think of any that haven't. Maybe Ian Acho is one who hasn't quite flowered as much as they hoped. Yeah, well, Ian Acho initially, and then the other one was um, Soyonchu was signed and considered a flop, and then Maguire left, and then uh, you know he obviously became a, a key figure after Maguire. So even the ones who aren't the, an immediate hit still tend to find a way to to, to force their way into that team. All right, Pat Sandaka, look out for him in your Premier League coverage this coming season. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back to talk about more transfer tittle-tattle shortly. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we are talking transfers, baby. I've said baby twice in this podcast, don't know why. Taylor Rockwell, coming to you now. Let's hear about some of the, uh, or one of the transfers that is exciting you for this coming season. Sounds good, baby. Uh, <laughs> I have uh, the obvious one here. Graham, I'll do the heavy lifting for you. Billy Gilmore loaned to Norwich from Chelsea. I think we all were, will remember the day, remember where we were when this move happened. Yeah. It is incredibly notable. Graham, your thoughts on that one? This was actually on my list and who I, I was going to go, go for next. Uh, it would be remiss of me not to mention the King of Wembley, the conqueror of England, the one man who could stop <laughs> Gareth Southgate delivering football coming home other than Giorgio Chiellini and uh, Leonardo Bonucci and Donnarumma and I'm just I'm just now just writing <laughs> off the whole Italian team <laughs> yeah uh, Billy Gilmore I am split on whether I like this move or not it is definitely an interesting move he is the, the most naturally talented Scottish player of my lifetime that is not hyperbole at all I think he is a talent who could genuinely become one of the, the best players in the world. I think he's that good. And so I, I draw a comparison. I think I wrote an article about this. I, I kind of wanted Chelsea to do to Gilmore what City did with Phil Foden. And I feel like Gilmore is the sort of player um, who would benefit from being in an elite environment uh, surrounded by elite teammates and learning from them and learning from an elite coach and how that worked for Foden at Manchester City. And I think Gilmore... It, it, we, Chelsea need to be really careful about getting him the right loan move just due to the kind of profile of player he is and a move to a team battling relegation at the foot of the Premier League table does make me a little bit nervous on the flip side Daniel Farke's style will be a good fit for Billy Gilmore and I'm just excited to see him play because this is a guy who I know for most um sorry Taylor I'm going on a little bit here but uh, for for your pick <laughs> 
<laughs> no, this is like actively what I want. It's not even my pick. I just wanted to tee you up to All do right, 10 okay, minutes sorry. of Billy Gilmore. Then I'll tell you my player. That's, yeah, it'll take 40 minutes. Um, but yeah, for, for, for someone who I know maybe the wider soccer community hadn't seen much of him before last season and maybe even before that England game at Wembley against in, in the Euros, this Billy Gilmore's been spoken about for years and years by Scottish football fans, even going back to when he was at Rangers as a 15, 16 year old. So I'm just looking forward to seeing him play and just seeing as, if he's as good as I think he is. So he was he was my next pick. But Taylor, I've sort of stolen your thunder a little bit there. <laughs> not, at, not at all. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I was happy to bring up Billy Gilmore. Uh, but I should probably also mention very briefly this uh, youngster who's a Manchester City Academy reject. He went to Germany. He had some ups and downs there. And now it seems like he's going back to England. It's uh, Jaden Sancho, I believe is his name. Uh, is yes, Jason. that is his name. Jason, right? Uh, <laughs> Jason Sancho? Yeah. Jason Sancho. Uh, yeah. Jason Sancho, excuse me. Uh, 85 million euros, 72.6 million pounds is what I believe was reported to the uh, the German authorities, which I guess is where it had to be reported for this move to to begin. It's not official yet. Terms have been agreed, I think, as of today. The medical has happened, uh, but nothing is concrete yet, but seems like it will be. And that means Jaden Sancho will be with Man United next season. He and Tom Heaton, I believe, are their only signings so far. Um, Taylor, do you think that the Man United strategy with Sancho will be to not use him all season, but then when they get a penalty, just bring him on and see if he'll uh, succumb to the pressure? See, you say it in jest, but with some of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's decision-making, yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, that might be a thing they do. I don't know. It could be a surprise attack to bring him on. Uh, because remember, they signed Donny van de Beek uh, in case they lost Paul Pogba, or if Paul Pogba couldn't go, and then when Paul Pogba was injured for most of the season, they didn't play Donny van de Beek. So, yes, it would make sense for them to bring in a player to fit an area of need, and then, I don't know... Start Paul Pogba out on the right instead of Jaden Sancho and see how that goes. Well, I was hoping you'd bring up Sancho, Taylor, and I want to get your thoughts on how it affects your feelings about mm-hmm. Man United in general. Does this pump you up more for this coming season? Does it give you a bit more faith? Do you think he's going to raise the team to be more of the sum of its parts as it may not have been previously? Yeah, I think he will. And I think it's an exciting signing. I think that they got it done. There was some reporting out of Germany that they had sort of missed the window again, and their offer was so low that Dortmund just felt like there's no point in doing this again. So it seems like they did end up meeting that valuation, which Dortmund had informed Sancho needed to be met in order for them to even consider the offer. I think the player himself wanted to move and was already shopping for homes. So it seems like he's kind of mentally ready for that one uh, and excited for that move to happen. So it does make the team, the attack, I think, make a lot more sense. I think bringing back Edinson Cavani as well sort of gives them the veteran striker with the veteran striker's wisdom that they needed. The question is always with Manchester United then becomes like, okay, so they filled the one area of need that they've had for three seasons. Now can they fill the other three that they've had for four seasons? And we'll see if that ends up being the case. They're heavily linked with Eduardo Camavinga. They're heavily linked with Rafael Varane. That would Varane. be so I good. Don't Camavinga. know if either of those moves happen, but I would be uh, very thrilled if Kamavinga ended up happening, not just because he is the other player that is on every single FIFA list of young players you should <laughs> sign, uh, but because from everything I've seen of him, he justifies that by being incredibly good uh, and not just for his age, just very, very good. I think he'd probably be a slow introduction to the senior team, but once he was in there, I think you would sh- it would be pretty clear why he had been brought in. And Graham, what excites you about that one? I just think, so I'm, I am, um, look, obviously we wait until the end of the window, but I, I just have a feeling that with Manchester United, and I will, I will bring it round to Camavinga, but with Manchester United, I get, I get the sense that they're in a much better shape in terms of their, their transfer strategy. That John Murtaugh is the new, I can't remember what his 
his uh, official title is, but he's essentially the, sp- the sporting director or the transfers chief, and he's uh, assisted by Darren Fletcher. And I just looked through this, the business of Man United have done, and I think it's been a good start. You know, Sancho, they've got a, a deal that's thirty million euros less than they were they were getting priced. Last summer, they've got that done. You know, Tom Heaton, they needed a, a, another goalkeeper in. You know, Sergio Romero's uh, leaving. I think Lee Grant actually did end up signing a, a, a contract extension. But anyway, they needed an experienced goalkeeper. They brought in Tom Heaton, who knows the club and will, will do a good job. I saw yesterday they've hired a set-piece coach as well, which just gives... I just, I just feel like my have a better idea of the of the problems that they have. And even the fact they're being linked with Varane and Kamavinga, you know, it used to be years ago my would get linked with players and you'd go, I don't think that's going to solve the problem. So, you know, they've got Sancho to play on the right. Varane is a top-level centre-back, which is something that they need. And then, and then Kamavinga, who at the moment for Ren plays um, kind of a, a, as a both-ways midfielder. But it, there was a really good analysis by Statman Dave on Twitter. I don't know if you follow him, which is basically predicting that Kamavinga is going to become a Kante and Didi, you know, Casemiro sort of figure who covers a lot of the, you know, left to right in front of the defence, but also can spring the ball forward. And that is exactly the player mine that you need for that midfield. And that's the player that can get the best out of Paul Pogba. It's the player that can get the best out of Bruno Fernandes it's a player that can settle down the defence and I think that player fixes a lot of my United's problems and if Kamavinga is available for 30 million euros which is apparently what the, the, the quoted price is he's only got a year left in his contract if PSG aren't in the market because they've got Wijnaldum they're spending their money elsewhere Real Madrid and Barcelona aren't spending money I think that's smart acknowledgement I talked about PSG acknowledging there was an opportunity with Hakimi I think Manchester going for Kamavinga is also smart acknowledgement of where acknowledgement of where there's an opportunity and and that would be further proof to me that something has changed. Even though Ed Woodward's still lingering until the end of the year, I believe, um, something feels like, for me anyway, it's changed a little bit in my head in terms of the players they're going after. So what's the deal with Woodward now? He's, he, he's still around until, what, December? Um, yes, <laughs> apparently. Goodness. But he's not, he's not, he doesn't seem to be doing much other than just signing the checks, is what uh, the Athletic were saying. He's um, the director of directing football operations, then they've got the director <laughs> of football operations who reports to the football operations director, and then after that, there's an overseer of the advisory board that oversees the directors who then direct yeah. the, uh, I think, the match day revenue income. And then there's Dan Fletcher, who just brings everyone tea. Yeah, pretty much. And you said Leicester was the best-run club in the Premier League. I don't know, Graham. I don't know. Um, Joe, how about a pick from you, sir? I'm going to go down to the Copa America and talk about Rodrigo de Paul, who's moving from Udinese in Serie A to Atletico Madrid. And I say the Copa America because he was a starter. De Paul is a starter for Argentina throughout the majority of that tournament. He started in the final against Brazil. He's a 27-year-old central midfielder who Atleti are, are getting for 35 million euros. He, he's just a brilliant player. Not a guy I was super familiar with before the Copa America and, and before kind of prepping for this show. But he had nine goals and nine assists last year for Udinese, who finished 14th in Serie A. So not a good season for, for the club, but an excellent season for Rodrigo De Paul. And he also had 6.6 expected goals and 10 expected assists. So a little bit outperforming his goal scoring tally. I don't think he's a big goal scorer in general, but he's a creative player in midfield as a, as a, uh, a two way central midfielder. He played as a number eight for Argentina in the Copa America and he played as a part of a midfield three as one of the eights for Udinese this past season in Serie A. Great vision, right-footed, good passing range, can break lines, very creative on the ball. Not a Bruno Fernandes-type creator, but creator, creative for a number eight kind of player. Good in tight spaces, can dribble forward, out of pressure, can combine. 
And then another thing that makes him really perfect for Atletico Madrid, although they've shifted towards becoming more of an, an elite offensive team as well, DePaul is just so mobile defensively. He does a great job of covering ground. And in, in the Copa America final, I went back and watched all of his clips, all of his actions. He made life pretty miserable for Neymar, which is an extremely challenging thing to do. Wherever Neymar was, not wherever, but a lot of times when Neymar would get on the ball, Rodrigo DePaul was right there and made turning extremely challenging for Neymar. He's willing to get back and track and, and get back into shape. Just a player that I think is so perfect for Diego Simeone, whether they're playing a 4-4-2 or a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3, whatever shape Simeone decides to go with on a game-to-game basis, there could very well be a spot for Rodrigo DePaul, even though they already have Coque and Marcus Llorente and Saul and Hector Herrera and a couple other players in that group. I I think there's a non-zero chance that Rodrigo DePaul is maybe their best central midfielder this season. Wow. Um, Graham, what are your thoughts on that? As, as, uh, As Joe mentioned there, there are quite a few decent midfielders with Atleti already. Yeah, but I I actually totally agree with him, and he was on my uh, he was on my list as well, Rodrigo De Paul. Um, I think he is a, a perfect fit for Atletico Madrid. Obviously, we spoke about Leicester's hit rate in the transfer market. Atleti's isn't so good actually. They make quite a, a number of high profile mistakes, but I I think this is a really good uh, good fit, as I say. And and Atleti, even though they are the Spanish champions, they had a very good season. Last year, there is a spare slot in their midfield in that Saul, there's just something not right with his relationship with Simeone at the moment. It seems like he could be on his way out. Thomas Lamar was better for Atleti last season than he was in his first season there, but still not living up to his his price tag. And so there is a, a spare slot in that midfield, as I say. And I just think DePaul gives them a, another dimension on both sides of the ball. And um, certainly in terms of those driving runs, those those dribbles that he is so good at and it offers a bit of goal threat and creativity which is no bad thing for an Atleti team that doesn't have you know uh, I know they've got Luis Suarez but other than Luis Suarez that they're not in attack they're not a team that's laden with goals and uh, from another, a number of other players so that helps as well I think it's I think it's a great signing Taylor any thoughts on that one the Liga champs keeping their keeping their spot with that one I think I just saw the headline today that he had to be stopped from making fun of the Brazil team after Argentina won the Copa, and that feels oh, like an Atleti player. That feels like a so player that they would like. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Um, I might actually add on um, some South American flavor here as well, if you don't mind. I wanted to talk about Man City for a little bit, who haven't... Uh, I think Pep Guardiola was saying that they're, they're finding it very hard to spend at the moment, or worse to that effect, which is a bit Aww. a bit cute coming from Man City, <laughs> isn't it? Yes, exactly yeah. the, the noise I was looking for, Joe. But I've, they, they've signed a few youngsters from South America, a couple of, a couple of Brazilians from, uh, from Fluminense as well, Keiki and Matinho, who are apparently best buds, who even live together. Uh, Keiki, we've, I think we heard about a little while, while ago, um, you know, plays as a forward on the right wing, can play on the left as well. Um, coming in January is my understanding there. Um, it seems to be like all the players I'm going to mention here are players who might need a little bit of incubation time in Europe, maybe not quite fully fully fledged Premier League players right out of the box, but he seems very exciting. He's uh, Keiki's compared um, to Neymar and, and, and Douglas Costa as well in, in his style of play. He's a, he's a left-footed but right side, predominantly right-sided player. 
um, seems to have a lot of pace, a lot of ball carrying uh, ability. Um, I'll, I'll read you a quote from his under 17 coach at Fluminense, who told The Guardian, Keiki stands out for his intelligence, technical ability, and the speed of his actions. So I'm excited about that one. And his best bud, uh, Matinho, who's coming over um, as well. Apparently, he flew to Europe this week. Um, he's an interesting one. I think he's going to be, uh, be loaned elsewhere in City Football Group. Uh, Trois is one of the clubs being mentioned there for him by the Manchester Evening News. Um, I think that's a work permit issue. I think, was it Douglas Luiz who got taken to Girona um, rather than City because I think he couldn't get a work permit? I think it's a similar situation there, possibly, because he hasn't had enough um, first-team experience to warrant the uh, work permit, apparently. So he's another one to look out for, sort of a central attacking midfielder, box-to-box kind of player. Um, Maybe could fill one day that De Bruyne or even the Gundogan role. Um, so uh, he was in the Guardians Next Generation 2020 list as well, was Matinho. So that's an interesting one to look out for. And the third player that City have uh, brought in is Dario Sarmiento, who's an 18-year-old winger from Estudiantes in Argentina. Um, another right-wing player, maybe um, a threat to Keiki's place in the squad. Um, and he's another one who's he's been spoken of with having great one-on-one ability, great vision, uh, a short player, so not exactly an aerial threat, but um, what, maybe one of those players who's got a lot of pace and can track back and recover, a kind of player that Pep would like. Uh, maybe the kind of style we saw from Saka in, in this in this Euros as well, the, the ability to get back as well. So all of those three players... Um, maybe names for the future, maybe names who will fizzle out and won't actually make it to the biggest stage. But I mean, I'm interesting that Man City, I'm interested Man City have gone for these three forwards, um, all from South America, all um, maybe investing in the future a little more rather than uh, spending the big bucks on on big players. Uh, Taylor, any thoughts on any of those or what Man City are doing? Uh, I think Man City are pretty much doing the Man City thing, which is being smart, biding their time, uh, investing in their like youth team, and then letting that youth team move on to Borussia Dortmund, and then letting Manchester <laughs> United sign those youth players. So I'm really excited for these players to come back to England in a few yep. years. Until then, I think they're probably being very smart, waiting for the market to be a little bit more clear, and then deciding how they want to reinforce and where. I, I would be surprised if they don't spend anything. I would also be surprised if they spend a lot. Uh, and we'll see what happens with Little Messi. I guess that'll be also part that, of that too. Taylor, that's a point. Uh, did City get a chunk of the money that Manchester United have paid for Sancho? Yeah, I would I assume they so. Did. I believe they did. They got a oh. percentage, yeah. So that's De Bruyne's new contract then. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Manchester United. <laughs> oh, dear. Thanks, Graham. <laughs> All right. Um, is there any other transfers before we head off, gents, that we want to pick up on? Uh, and maybe any deals we don't quite understand. One one player was mentioned earlier, Junior Firpo, going from Barcelona to Leeds. I don't quite understand that one. Is he going to replace Alioski? I don't know where he goes. Alioski's off, I think. Is he? I think they let, yeah, I think they released him. Or Yeah, he's definitely away. I'm not sure if he's gone somewhere else or if he's been released. But yeah, that is the replacement for him. Alioski's offski. There you go. Answer my question. Thank you very much, Graham. Any, anyone else you wanted to point out, Graham? Um, if I'm going, I'm going to, I won't spend too much time on this because it is a bit of a curveball, but I, oh, I actually had a, <laughs> I actually had a managerial one. Uh, okay. And I'll, I'll just spend a tight... Uh, no, 30 seconds on this. Uh, Ange Postacoglu is the new Celtic manager, and he's a complete unknown to Scottish football fans, but he's arrived with a pretty glowing reputation from Asian and Australian football, renowned for being a tactical mastermind, and he favours kind of like attacking free-flowing football. And Scottish football famously doesn't like 
outsiders. Pedro Cachinha, Rangers, Rangers manager. Paul Le Guin, who arrived at Rangers as like the best coach in France, lasted about five months. Uh, Ian Cathro, who's now the Spurs assistant manager, didn't last long at Hearts either. Anyone who's taken an unorthodox path into a Scottish football job doesn't tend to fare too well. So I know I'm I'm uh, pushing the boundaries a little bit with that one, but just in terms of new people at clubs, he is one I'll be definitely keeping an eye on. I actually think, Graham, that's, that's a smart point to make because with the Euros, we tend to always have a little bit of a break in the signings, and it seems like a lot of clubs have taken that opportunity to hire new managers because we've had, what, Antonio Conte leaves, Simone Inzaghi takes over at Inter, we have a new manager at Bayern, a new manager at Leipzig, uh, a new manager for Germany, obviously, Nuno goes to Spurs, Bruno Lage goes to Wolves, Rafa Benitez goes to Everton because Carlo Ancelotti went to Real Madrid. Uh, lots of managerial changes, I think, worth noting because I think once those managers are more set and now with the Euros complete and the Copa complete I I do think we probably get a bit more spending I think honestly if England had won uh, the Euros I feel like there would be more joy and we'd be getting like more rumors already or if England had been eliminated early I think the rumor mill would already be cranking stuff out it seems like it's been quiet so far but I'm going to assume it escalates in these next few weeks a storm is coming a storm is coming to quote uh, a film that um, <laughs> Joe fell asleep halfway through. Uh-huh. Joe, any any yep. um, any uh, other players you wanted to point to before we head off? I'm never going to live that down. Uh, just <laughs> just one quickly: Ibrahima Konate, 22 year old centre back, moving to Liverpool from RB Leipzig. Still a little bit raw, but a modern center back at least has all the tools to be a modern center back six foot three right footed very fast very good fit for that high line that Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp likes to play uh, the the biggest thing that I think he needs to work on is his passing ability a little sporadic in some of those right footed balls but very good driving forward with the ball so at least he has that in his pocket uh, just Konate coming into this group gives Klopp more defensive options, which we saw last season. If uh, every single center back that you've ever come in contact with comes down with an injury, bringing in a couple more, even as Van Dijk and, and Joe Gomez and Joe Matip all get back to full health, it's good to have options. And Konate will certainly be an option for Liverpool. Yeah, Joe, uh, you're... sorry, I was going to say Konate was on my list as well, and I thought that was an intriguing one because they spent fifty million dollars on him for his release clause as well, and I thought it sounded very promising, but. Liverpool do have a lot of um, centre-backs to fall back on now. As you mentioned, they had a problem with that last year. But there's a lot of names they could put back in centre-back. And one of the things I learned is that Konati, when he was younger, um, played in that defensive midfield role, the holding midfielder role as well. So he has the ability to fill in there where they've got a little less cover. So he could be a little bit um, of a dynamic and uh, versatile player for Liverpool as well. Um, We'll see if he gets any starts this season. I'm intrigued by that one. Sorry, Taylor, I jumped on you there. Oh, no, I had a, a very stupid joke. Uh, so yours was probably more useful. Was it about Jürgen Klopp? Yeah, it was indeed. If Jürgen Klopp used Photoshop to remove police from a photo of a certain part of Anfield, would Jürgen Klopp have cropped cops from the cop? Uh, see, I was thinking of like a farming version yeah. of yeah. Jürgen Klopp. Jürgen's crop. Or Jürgen's, cr- Jürgen's crop, yes. Um, but I guess I should, Joe, I'm sure we've already gotten a tweet at this point for people listening. Uh, Conrad De La Fuente moving to Marseille would yep. be another Barcelona yeah. player who uh, has changed clubs so Barca can clear a small amount of money off the books, but 19-year-old American winger going to Marseille is very exciting. Marseille, obviously a very, very big club in France, uh, and I hope that he uh, does well there, gets a lot of starts, scores a bunch of goals, and becomes the world beater that we all know he can be. 
Oh, yeah. Well, gents, I think that probably brings us to the end of the podcast. We'll make a note to edit out all the Scottish stuff Graham talked about, but otherwise, <laughs> a, a real success there. Um, maybe we should come back and do this again soon before the uh, the European Domestic Leagues start again. Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for your contributions today, as always. Right back at you, my friend. Graham Rudman, thank you, sir. I was just kidding about the Scottish stuff. I, I'll, I'll half listen to it again when you when we listen back to this one. Okay, and what we'll do in the slide is edit out all your Wimbledon stuff as well uh, from previous podcasts, so there's no trace of it anywhere. Ooh. Oh, revisionist history on the Total Soccer Show. I like it, Graham. I like it. And Joe Lowry, thank you as always, sir. Always a pleasure. You got it, Ryan. And thank you, listener. Bye! <laughs> <laughs>